0: of the Play It As It Lives podcast here on a beautiful first day of March. Uh, And, you know, March matters right around the corner, uh, but we're here to talk to you today about a different kind of basketball. But to get things started with me, as always, a man whose head is the same color as a basketball, Mr. Frank Flacco. Great description there. Uh, March 1st, uh,
1: we made it. Hopefully February showers bring March flowers. And with those flowers, of course, comes uh, more NBA basketball. You know, at this point, Rotom, we're just alternating sports with these, uh, with these episodes. And I got to
0: say, I'm not sure how to feel about it. Uh, well, get ready to feel good as we're about to go into quite a whirlwind of a march between March Madness, the rest of the NBA season, obviously, NFL free agency coming up this week. Franchise tags being placed this Monday. Uh, so a whole lot to talk about from sport to sport as we continue flip-flopping like a pancake. Am I getting
1: the franchise tag, Rotom? Is that what I'm hearing? Are you franchise tagging me for this podcast?
0: We might try and just tag you. Uh, we'll we'll see about a full franchise tag. it be a contract extension.
1: We'll, we'll work it out.
0: We'll work it out. You know, my people will talk to your people. But it's time for us to talk about your people, Frank, uh, as we stock our stock rising, Frank. One of the hottest stocks uh, has to be dollar sign, W-A-S, the Washington Wizards. Uh, that's right, a team that was probably one of the most miserable and underperforming to start the season, has gotten right into their groove. They're currently 12-18 and 18, uh, after starting off 4-12 and 12 to start off the season, but here they are following the back of a great Russell Westbrook uh, and, and the continuing performances of Bradley Beal uh, leading the league in scoring. Kind of a fun team to watch right about now. And Frank, as a Wizards fan, how do you feel about it?
1: Well, I gotta say, it's uh, it's conflicting and again you know I, i've said this multiple times i've seen this story before the wizards start off the year terrible uh, they they look dead in the water they they play just bad enough to convince people to start jumping ship and then lo and behold right when you thought you were out they find a way to reel you back in and maybe this year's team is different than the ones that i've seen in years past so I could sit here and be negative about the Wizards. I could say that what we're seeing is false hope or fool's gold and that the best direction for the team ultimately is to still head more towards a rebuild and get some younger players in the building. But instead of that, you know, I'm going to be positive because I do like seeing my favorite team win basketball games. And like you said, they are a fun team to watch. And maybe they were so bad in the beginning portion of the season, because they never really had a full group out there. Russell Westbrook was hurt. They had a two-week hiatus because of COVID. But now, you know, they've got all the guys playing. Westbrook looks healthy. Beal is still as good as he's ever been. And uh, some of the younger players are stepping up as well. And six wins in the past seven games, and now they're only a few games out of being in a playoff spot. Uh, So life is good for the Wizards right now, and we'll see uh, if that continues
0: moving forward. Yeah, we'll have to see. But like you said, it's been not just a few players coming up, but it's been quite a lot. And Russell Westbrook has to be the the pinnacle of the the turnaround that's happened. Obviously, he was pretty low light in in the start of the season. But now, in in the whole month of February, is essentially averaging a triple-double with 44.2% shooting, which is up 5% over the rest of the season. Uh, while averaging 18.7 points, 10 rebounds, and 9.9 assists. But Frank, as you know, the fun doesn't stop there, and probably one of the most foreign benches in the league is also having quite a lot of fun, as the combination of Rui Hachimura, Raul Neto, and Isaac Bonga have combined for 45 points in three of the Wizards' last seven games, and most notably Rui, uh, who against the Nuggets had 20 points and five rebounds, uh, has scored double figures the ent- every game this month and is averaging 14.3 points per game, looking a lot better than kind of the disappointment that he was to start out last season and definitely better than the floundering defenseless mess that he was to start the season. So while I would love to be talking about my Israeli homie, Danny Abdiah here, but Rui is starting to look like a pretty bona fide NBA player.
1: Yeah, he definitely is. And the biggest improvement for him... Uh, has been on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, he's always been skilled offensively. His numbers, compared to last year, are comparable, but when you watch him play, I mean, it seems like he gets a little bit better every game. And defensively, especially, uh, he's really improved mightily. I mean, last year, he was kind of a lost cause on defense, but now he's guarding one through five. He's kind of taking the challenge of, of guarding some of the better players in the league. I mean, we saw him Uh, matchup with LeBron a few nights ago. Obviously, that didn't go great, but I think it went uh, better than you probably could have expected uh, in that individual matchup. And, you know, it starts with Westbrook, again, like you said. Obviously, Westbrook's been better as an on-the-court presence, but his leadership uh, can't be understated how important that's been, because a lot of times with the Wizards in the past years, uh, when the going gets tough, they've tended to kind of roll over, but Seems like with Westbrook in the fold, uh, you know, he's not cut from that cloth and he's kind of lifted a lot of these role players and younger players up, kind of taking them under his wing. And uh, you love to see that.
0: really do. And that's, that's a lot closer to what we were hearing about Russ going into the season. There was really this attempt to kind of make him look like a better player by a lot of his former teammates, essentially because he was getting so much hate uh, from the time that he was on the Rockets for only one season. So it is... It's really kind of a turnaround for his character, and it's good to see that improvement come from the Wizards. Uh, But Frank, we both started the season with the over on the Washington Wizards' win totals at 32.5. I I would assume we both kind of hesitantly backed off of that. I I wasn't feeling very confident when they were the worst team in the NBA uh, at the start of this new year. Are you still sticking with 32.5, or do you think maybe the Wizards should aim a little bit lower?
1: Uh, it's hard to say. I mean, it's still early in the season, relatively
0: early, I guess.
1: We're just heading towards the All Star break now. So they would need 20 plus wins from here on out. Uh, it's doable. Um, I would hold on on the win total for now. Uh, in terms of stock, I'm buying the Wizards stock as a potential low seed playoff team or play in team, which is, you know, frankly, right where we thought they would be uh, before the season. But in terms of being anything better than that, at the moment, uh, it's a wait and see, I think.
0: Yeah, I would have to agree with you there. Uh, They are kind of on a course to go right towards the the play-in games. But if they do end up on the upper end of that, maybe sneak into an eighth seed, then they are likely to be right there in the 31 range. So I think it's entirely possible to get the over. Uh, Their range probably drops a little bit, but... Hope's still out there, Frank. And, uh, you know, they currently sit at 12th, only a few games back of a playoff spot uh, behind the Hornets. Uh, but that leads us right into the next team we're going to talk about. Well, wouldn't you know, it's the 15 and 17 Hornets. Oh, these Hornets were regarded as probably one of the most confusing teams going into the season, kind of a, the land of misfit toys uh, with Terry Regier, Malik Monk, obviously uh, LaMelo Ball, who we didn't know much about, Gordon Hayward, cast away from Boston. Uh, Michael Jordan, getting a lot of hate towards him as an owner, and here he is proving to everyone that he's got a playoff team in his hands. But, Frank, the question is, do we buy this team as a playoff team? Both of us took the under at 25.5, and they're only 10 wins away from breaking that.
1: Yeah, I mean, we thought they were going to be terrible to start the year, and pretty much everyone did. And It's weird to say that the Hornets are... A stock rising team, per se, when they're 5-5 five and five in their last 10 games. And sure, while they're a little bit up and down, I think they need to be mentioned in this list, which is why we're talking about them, because this is just a fun team to watch, and it's an easy team to root for, and it starts and ends, frankly, with Lamella Ball. I mean, enough cannot be said uh, about the impact that this young man has had on this team so early and how captivating. And, uh, and riveting it is to watch him play and, you know, lift his teammates up. It's kind of unprecedented. You don't really see it that often with such a young player in his first year. But the combination of Lamelo's performance, guys like Gordon Hayward, uh, P.J. Washington, Terry Rozier, it's a weird collection of players, and they probably shouldn't be near 500, given the talent on the roster. But I'm buying this team as a at least a play in team. I, I mean, they're in the eighth seed right now when it's all said and done, I don't see them dropping out below uh, nine or 10 because I think, uh, I think there's some things to be excited about with this team and going forward, of course, after this season, especially, but as it pertains to right now, I think they have enough in the tank to uh, be there in the mix uh, for that playoff spot in the East.
0: Gotta agree with you on the mix. How far they get, I'm not buying it too much. I still think this is a team that is bound to lose one of the play-in games. Uh and that's because I think they've overachieved by quite a lot here. And that's bound to correct themselves. Uh sure, Rozier has been playing out of his mind. Malik Monk has turned himself into a 15-night a night scorer, uh, shooting almost 50% from a three. Gordon Hayward's pretty much nightly 28-4 and four. is fun to watch, but it's about as boring as it gets. Uh, and the only fun that comes out of this team is from uh, just about three guys. It's LaMelo Ball, who you already talked about. Obviously, his, his incredibly impressive stat lines and uh, amazing passes on the nightly are, are fun to watch. But his his partner in that Airbnb duo, uh, Miles Bridges, has also brought quite a lot of fun to this team. And Malik Monk, Rogier, a great Devontae Graham. Uh, but after them, this team gets... Well, this team gets really boring. Uh, PJ Washington is... is all of the fundamentals and none of the fun uh, that comes from the traditional power forward role. Just the Dementals. Uh, Cody's... Only the Dementals. Just just the Dementals. And if you want to talk about a guy who's purely Dementals, uh, look no further than the guy that he's starting behind. Uh, Mr. Cody Zeller, who just like every year has playing just about half of the games because he's eternally hurt. Bismack Biyombo, And that's not to say anything away from them. They're all playing phenomenal games. Uh, but they're just not playing very efficient, because when those guys on their court, uh, this team is exactly just below average. In fact, they're 18th in offensive efficiency, 18th in defensive efficiency, and 20th in net efficiency overall. That being said, though, they are the league's best net rating in clutch minutes, and in fact are 10-5 in games decided uh, within five points in the final five minutes. So they've definitely got that clutch gene that a lot of teams get, and it's a big question of whether that's LaMelo or whether that's anyone else, but... This is just a team that I think is punching above its weight class. Um, it reminds me a lot of the Grizzlies last year, and I think they're kind of bound to lose a play-in-game at this point. To who? I don't know. But I, I'm still hesitant to say that they're truly a playoff team that can contend for a matchup anywhere.
1: That's fair, uh, 100%. And you're right. Uh, there's, there is an overachieving factor here for sure. That's probably part of the reason why uh, it's easy to root for them. Um, but again, I mean... If we're talking about them as a team that's going to lose a play-in game uh, towards the end of the year, that's still far better than we would have expected before the season started. So, you know, like with a lot of teams, it's it's a game of expectations, which I guess you could say uh, about the next team on the list that we're about to talk about.
0: You absolutely could, Frank, but an expectation that maybe some of us uh, on this podcast may have had. Uh, I talked a lot about lottery tickets when we did our prediction, and I said the, the Knicks had more lottery tickets than any other team in the NBA, and if they could just cash out a few of them, they would be rock solid, and here we are with one of their biggest lottery tickets cashed, Mr. Julius Randle, a first-time All-Star putting up insane numbers, the fulcrum of one of the most efficient offenses in the league. They might not be impressive, second bottom in the league in scoring points at only 104.5, but they're number four in efficiency, and if you're talking about a four, an efficient team on offense, and the number one defensive team uh, by points per game, it's a winning combination that Tom Thibodeau has won. Now the problem with Tom Thibodeau, of course, is he isn't cashing out the rest of the tickets, giving guys like Obi Toppin and Emmanuel Quickly only 15 per game. So frankly, we started off this season, I was incredibly high up at these Knicks, I'm excited about the fact that they are the closest team out of any team in the league to breaking their over-under, only seven. 7 games, Frank, away from breaking that over under of 22.5. So it's not really a question of you are you changing your mind cuz it's going to happen, but how do you, how far do you think this Knicks team's go? Cuz I I'm still in a believer of them being the future eighth seed in the East. Do you see that happening? Are they a playing game uh team for you or are you maybe aiming higher than I am?
1: I don't think I'm aiming higher than you. Um and you do deserve credit for, you know, kind of backing this Knicks team before a lot of other people did. I took the under on the 22 and a half before the season. Obviously, that's going to be wrong. Um, again, another team that's going to be in that mix for the eighth spot in the East that was towards the end of the season, I think. And the Knicks are an interesting case of timelines conflicting, right? Because it's hard to say whether... Thibodeau is doing the right thing by giving veteran players like Derrick Rose and Taj Gibson minutes over younger guys, like you said, quickly in Toppin. And for the Knicks long term, maybe those young players should be the ones getting heavy minutes as opposed to the veteran players getting 30 plus minutes a night. Uh, That's been the story with Thibodeau throughout his coaching career. So it's not a surprise. Uh, And that's kind of been the story with the Knicks over the past few years. But I mean, if you're playing 500 basketball and you're in the sixth spot in the East, and you're in that playoff mix, maybe it doesn't matter all that much. And Thibodeau has gotten a lot of flack as a coach, uh, from you, from me especially. But one thing's for sure that I don't think you can be disputed. Uh, No matter where he's been as a coach, it seems like players enjoy playing for him. And it seems like his teams always play hard. That's one thing that's a given. And they're always going to compete, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And you're seeing that with the Knicks team that maybe they don't have the most talent in the world, but there's a reason that they're almost 500, and it's because they're just out-hustling teams most of the nights. And uh, that's a positive thing that you can take going forward.
0: Yeah, uh, and that, that's something you get out of guys with the connection to Thibodeau, like Derrick Rose, like, I hate to say it, Taj Gibson. Uh, like Nerlens Noel, and for some reason, uh, we're also treated to 35 minutes of Alfred Payton, who is also a great and grind guy for Thibodeau. Uh, should he be starting? No. But, uh, you know, Emmanuel quickly and or Derrick Rose will earn that spot one day. Uh, the Derrick Rose trade is one we didn't get to talk about, uh, since we haven't talked about the Knicks yet this season. Uh, to my dismay, I've been very excited to get to this point. But Rose, who was traded for Dennis Smith Jr. and a second-round pick, has, has rejuvenated what is now the seventh-best bench per, uh efficiency-wise, in the league. And it's been a phenomenal addition for Thibodeau. But like you said, kind of contrasting, not really sure where it's going. In my personal opinion, now that he's about to come out of prison, they should have traded for Reggie Jackson from the Los Angeles Clippers, probably only for a second. And now when Bobby Schmurda comes out of prison next week, they should have gotten him to wear his jersey since they look exactly the same. And we would have been seeing a much better offense from the Knicks because they need a better point guard and we know for a fact, all Bobby does is cash out. Yeah, you know, Bobby Shmurda, we're still waiting on that mix hat that he threw up in the
1: air in that music video several years ago to uh, to come down. We still don't know where it is.
0: Maybe it's in MSG. It could be in Madison Square Garden. Maybe that's the secret. I Maybe mean, it's the secret. He is the self-proclaimed king of New York. Uh, but there's a few players uh, on the other side of the river that might have something to say about that. And that has got to be probably... The most talented team in the NBA, the three all-NBA MVP-level players that are, are playing, of course, for the Brooklyn Nets, might uh, have a word to say about Bobby for the, the King of New York role, but for right now, without KB, James Harden and Kyrie Irving are still racking up win after win after win, uh, currently on an eight-game, an eight-game win streak, kind of pales in comparison to that Jazz win streak, uh, but they are definitely putting themselves firmly in position to be one of the top two teams in the East, potentially to fight for that spot in the NBA Finals. Frank, I was high on this team coming in. Uh, Their high, high mark of 45.5 is when you took the under on. They are pretty much halfway there at 20 wins. Feelings on that one. Feelings on them to win their division, a division that's been kind of slacking at minus 200, and feelings on their championship odds at the moment at plus 340.
1: I mean, you can't really say anything negative about the Nets right now. And, you know, we're, we're well on the record on this podcast of not being huge fans of Kyrie Irving, uh, not necessarily huge fans of James Harden for the way that those two behaved on and off the court earlier in the season. Um, So while they lost some of my respect, and I don't necessarily love to see them uh, succeeding in this way per se, eight wins in a row, almost all of which have come with Kevin Durant off the court. Uh, It's kind of scary to think that once KD comes back, How much better can this Nets team be than they already are? And they're scoring 120, 130, even 140 on some nights consistently, leading the league in scoring easily. And they're just beating teams. And they're doing it without their best player on the court. And the impact that James Harden has had uh, on this team, it's profound. Even on the defensive side of the ball, where they were one of the worst teams in the league for most of the season, Harden comes aboard a guy who is not known to be an elite defender by any stretch, and now they're you know performing at an average to above-average rate. That's really all this team needs to do on the defensive side of the ball to be one of, if not the best team in the NBA. So sure, it's early, but when you look around the NBA right now, I think the Nets are right there at the top of the list, especially in the Eastern Conference, and their stock is up, and it's hard not to buy it
0: really is hard to miss that. And that defensive aspect is one that I've been incredibly impressed with James Harden. Uh, and It's something that he's taken flack for. But over the month of February, this is a team that is 11th. And that's not all too impressive. But compared to the 30th, they were in January. This is the 11th best team uh, defensive-wise uh, in points per game. And that, that has all been done without arguably their best defender out of their big three KD. Uh, and that, that's big props to James Harden. Uh, sadly, big props also to Kyrie Irving. Uh, there are other signings, like Amon Schumpert and Andre Roberson also deserve credit for that, though they were both just cut. Assumingly, they're both about to be signed to 10-day contract. But this is a team that's only going to get better at the addition of KD. They're supposedly shopping Spencer Dinwiddie to potentially get a more defensive-minded guy at the 4 or the 5. P.J. Tucker might be coming into town to reunite with James Harden, so uh, he might be added on to the ring chase. But this is just a team you can't say anything bad about cuz even their worst fact their their defensive factors their their not ability to share the ball they're leading the league in assists they're they're playing good defense there's just no way to take this team down a, a notch at the moment and it, it's it's kind of scary to see what's going to happen in the playoffs of if, if they can just take care of teams
1: absolutely and you know there's not really much else that needs to be said about the nets but it is going to be interesting to see when KD does return, especially now that it's been announced he's going to be out through the All Star break. Uh, will that disrupt the the chemistry that Harden and Kyrie have kind of uh, have kind of molded over the past several weeks? Uh, I don't think it will. I don't know how that storyline is going to play out, but if there is anything that can bring the Nets down right now, it feels like it's going to come from the inside as opposed to other teams uh, beating them because that. Doesn't seem like it's going to happen anytime soon.
0: Yeah, and if all seasons that for that to be true, uh, it would be the one where Corona could take out your best player for any certain amount of time. But obviously, we've seen KD; they can survive. And it's interesting what you said that it's it's the Kyrie, Harden connection that KD might be able to disrupt because this team was founded upon the Kyrie KD connection, and KD and Harden have already been friends from their OKC days. So there there are strong connections in every position of this triangle. The triangle, of course, the strongest shape uh of geometry also a fundamental shape of basketball so you know this is this is the triangle team can anyone beat them is, is going to be the question. yeah you
1: know the triangle uh, great shape top five i might say uh animals top five animals
0: Raptors got to be up there in my opinion does have to be up there uh, a great ranking from you would love to hear the rest of that ranking uh maybe another day but let's let's talk about the raptors as you bring them up uh, another member of this Atlantic division that we're going to talk about with the, the Knicks and the Nets already up on our stock risers. The Raptors are going to finish up our last riser uh, of the division, currently sitting at 17-17. and 17. Again, like we've said about a few of these other teams, not too impressive, but compared to what they did to start the season, Siakam, Nick, but Nick Nurse, Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Vliet, Kyle Lowry have all all turned around their seasons in remarkable ways. They never stopped playing good defense, but they had an incompatibility to score, which it made us seem, it made me at least believe that that this team was done for and they needed that star back and they lost that flame. But albeit the Tampa Bay Raptors as of late have, uh, have been playing like a Tampa Bay team, like the, like the Buccaneers, like the Lightning, like a championship team. Uh, how far will they go? Well, Frank, your take on that comes first. Uh, as they currently sit at plus two thousand five hundred, only three games back from winning their division on their division odds, and they sit at an astounding plus two thousand five hundred to win the championship. How do you feel about those odds, Frank?
1: Well, championship definitely seems like an incredible long shot, and so too does the division. Uh, just in large part, purely based on the the talent of the division that they plan. that would be an uphill climb, but. Since the end of January, January 31st, they're 10-5, and and they're not world beaters by any means, but like you said, uh, relative to how they were playing earlier in the season, it's quite a turnaround for the Raptors, and maybe that has to do with uh, continuity and culture. We see that with a lot of teams this year. Uh, The rosters that have played together for a while, a a lot of those teams have been able to weather the storm, per se. The Jazz come to mind as a team that stand out that stood out in that department in the raptors it's hard to say what their ceiling is uh, again they're right in the mix in in the thick of the eastern conference playoffs i think they'll be there as the season progresses they'll they'll be in that 5 to 8 5 to 10 range um, and if it comes down to a play in game with this team hard not to trust the team that won the championship a few years ago with uh, one of the best coaches
0: in the nba uh, just the other night, they actually happened to play without their head coach, and five of their other coaches, uh, one of the assistant coaches who just happened to be quarantining, as he is one of the assistant coaches for the Italian basketball team, uh, was quarantining and managed to pull them up. But even even missing one of the key parts of their team, which is obviously former coach of the year, Nick Nurse, they are still managed to play well. And, and a team that has missed guys like that we thought were going to be more important, like OG Anadobi, who who's been out for 10 games this season. Guys like Aaron Baines and briefly Alex Lund. he did he did just recently leave the team. Uh, now a wizard, we didn't mention that earlier, but he they they've been playing great. Norman Powell has taken a huge leap from bucket sixth man to pretty much all around weapon that's doing it all. Not just on the defensive side, but on the offensive side, which is was the lacking part this month. He's been averaging twenty two points, shooting fifty two from the field, forty five from three, and ninety four. From the free throw line, you know what I love, Frank, is 50, 40, 90 guys, and he's beating those marks by quite a lot, and and that that is impressive to say. And on top of that, you've got Pascal Siakam has turned around his game to all-star level game like it was before. Kyle Lowry, who has been rumored for leaving the Raptors, um, is making it known that he does not want to leave and is playing some of the best defense I think we've ever seen out of a 32-year-old point guard who is just that thick. So, uh, Frank... (laughs) There's just no way that this is a team that's going anywhere. But their win total was 42 and a half. That slow start kind of seems like it might have taken them out of that range. Do you still believe that this is an under, uh, where the value was? Let's not forget that their under was at plus 130. Uh, do you feel like this might have flipped to an over? Is this for sure a playoff team? Is this a top four team in the East?
1: It could be when it's all said and done. I mean, the top three teams in the East seem pretty solidified, but maybe the fourth best team in the East this year is going to have 41 wins or less. I mean, I think that's entirely possible. And yeah, the Raptors have been playing better, but they're still 500 at the moment. And I think their ceiling is still a little bit limited this year. Uh, when it's all said and done, I, I could still see them finishing with less than 42 and a half wins. So if you did bet on that under where the value was, like you said, um, I wouldn't be panicking uh, at this point.
0: Yeah, no need to panic, realistically, right? They're, they This is a team that controls their destiny, is likely to make the playoffs with how bad the rest of the East is, uh, and we'll see their true form there. Uh, this is a team that usually punches above its waist class uh, in the playoffs, as we've seen uh large part to the ring on their fingers, thanks to Kawhi, but also in the last few playoffs, they, they have been playing pretty well with LeBron not in the conference. But there is another team that doesn't do very well in the playoffs, but has yet not been doing very well so far in the regular season. Uh, the fourth and the final, I promise. Last team we're going to talk about in the Atlantic Division. Uh, it's going to be the Celtics. The 16 and 17 Celtics. That's right, the Celtics below five hundred uh, with a, a sneakily, just awful stretch of games uh, this February go- with a appalling 6-10 and 10 record in the month. And again, you know, not that bad. Take it with a grain of salt, whatever it is. But their star players have not been playing like stars. Tatum, I'm sure you'll get into it, but has, has not been playing to his best. The guys behind him, Tristan Thompson, Jeff Teague. We talked about it when, I talked, when we talked about it for the beginning of the show. No one, no one should have said Jeff Teague could be a capable backup point guard because that man should not be trusted with an offense. We started off saying that he could maybe be trusted with a plant. Frank, I dare say I take that one back. I would not trust Jeff Teague to water my plants I don't even know what I trust him to do anymore. He's not walking my dogs. Maybe a pet rock at this point?
1: Maybe. I mean, you can trust him to miss shots on a basketball court. That's for sure.
0: That is for sure. And pretty much everyone else on their bench, outside outside of the rookies, Pritchard and Nesmith, uh, th- this bench has just been just been terrible. When you don't have the help of, a, of an all-NBA guy like Tatum. And Jalen Brown just can't carry the whole weight of the team with Marcus Smart still on the bench. And Kemba Walker doing Kemba things, I guess. It's just no one on this team outside of Jalen Brown seems to be hitting expectations, and Brown is is obviously doing much, much more than expectations. But how, how much do you think this impacts this team in their future?
1: I think potentially tremendously. I mean, I don't want to jump the gun here, but is it too early to say that the Celtics missed their championship window? I mean, for the past several years, this team was stockpiling assets uh danny Ainge in the front office was were loading up on draft picks and they hit with some of those draft picks but they never were really able to trade for the star player like so many people thought they were and now you're kind of seeing the results i mean this team is tatum and brown centric and outside of those guys when you catch a celtics game on a weekday night or on a weekend night and you look at the box score it's just not inspiring whatsoever I mean Kemba has been a shell of his former self and him and Marcus Smart have missed several games this year but if you're relying on guys like Daniel Tice and Tristan Thompson and Robert Williams and Jeff Teague all the guys that we've mentioned if those are the guys that are filling out your rotation as the second to eighth best players that's kind of troublesome and it's even more troublesome when your star players are not performing up to par and on On the surface, Tatum and Brown have been great this year, uh, but Tatum has been slumping a lot recently. I mean, 4 of 20 shooting two nights ago, 4 of 18 shooting just this past game. And Jalen Brown has been great, but even his production has dropped off a little bit in recent weeks. And this Celtics Celtics team, Brad Stevens is a great coach, but if Tatum and Brown are not performing at all-star levels night in and night out, they're going to lose games, and, and you're seeing that happen. And they're one game below 500. they They're over-under for the season. Uh, Their over-under before the season was right around 43 and a, half, 44 and a half. We both took the under. I'm feeling very, very confident in that prediction coming to fruition.
0: Yeah, and and it's kind of seeming like all of those issues that you were bringing up, the fact that they, they didn't get an All-Star, it seems like this was the season where if they made that push. If they had gotten Miles Turner like a lot of people thought they would in, in the Gordon Hayward situation, this is a team that doesn't have as many problems. It doesn't have the rebounding problems. It doesn't have the rim protection problems. It doesn't have the Tristan Thompson is playing 25 games and Daniel Tice is a, is a final five minutes guy kind of problem that, that we would have had otherwise. And look where we've come to. Kemba Walker, disappointing. Jason Tatum shooting 36% on the month, uh, averaging less than 22 points per game as the, the leading frontman of, of a team that's trying to get to the NBA championship. Tristan Thompson's not good. Jeff Teague, not good. It's really these two rookies off the bench and Jalen Brown that are the only things sticking up for this team. And I think Marcus Smart coming back is going to be a big help uh, probably getting this defense back into form. But if you're really relying your championship odds on Marcus Smart, you're doing something wrong. And that's not against Brad Stevens. It's 100% on Danny Ainge for not having made the move to get Miles Turner to be a part of that James Harden trade and get the Jarrett Allen at that. Look how good Jarrett Allen and Miles Turner are playing. Both guys have over two blocks a game. Not a single, not one player on the Celtics currently averages more than a block per game, mm-hmm. and that is a big reason why they allow third most points per game, points per game, points in the paint per game, uh, in the NBA. And it's 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 a sad sight to watch a team play such great perimeter defense. And then, them they lose one step and they've they've been scored on. It's sad. It's not what Brad Stevens, it's not the way Brad Stevens wants to play. And I think it could be fixed. Maybe this deadline is the point in which they turn around the season. But at this point, this current version of the Celtics team is not sniffing 45.5.
1: Absolutely not. And maybe Brad Stevens deserves some of the benefit of the doubt because we know how good of a coach he's been and what he's been able to pull off. Uh, with his success over the past several years. So am I buying the Celtics as a team that's below 500? Not yet. I still think that there's a turnaround maybe in sight for this team at some point. But am I buying this team as one of the top teams in the Eastern Conference? Definitely not. And that's not a place that we expected the Celtics to be in uh, before the season. But lo and behold,
0: uh, here we are. Lo and behold, here we are. Uh, Not great. Not great at all, uh, but at least all Celtics fans have have the good fortune to not be the only historically amazing franchise that is taking a tumble this month. And uh, their greatest rival on the other coast, the Los Angeles Lakers, now without Anthony Davis for at least another three weeks, uh, have have not been looking great either way. They are six and five on the season without ad a three game losing streak did just end as they beat the Trailblazers 103 to 92. So that that is a bright spot in a team that is currently averaging seven less points, giving up 12 more points per game, shooting significantly worse along the line, uh, having two less blocks per game and is just all around sorely missing Anthony Davis. Uh, so, Frank, we get to the question that kind of comes up with LeBron's teammates because every single one of them has had a major injury during their playoff runs, uh, whether it's Chris Bosh in 2010, uh, Dwayne Wade in 2014, uh, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love in 2016 and eighteen. Without AD, is this still a championship team? Without AD, I don't think
1: you can say this is a championship team at all. I mean, if there, were, if there was any question in of how important Anthony Davis was to the Lakers' success uh, before this point, you have to throw that question out of the window because we've seen that without him in the lineup, this is just a totally different team. And LeBron is great. He's tremendous. He's the best player in the NBA, sure. But that can only get you so far. And we know LeBron has lifted supporting casts to the promised land in the past. Uh, But this team needs AD to come back uh, quickly and healthy, more importantly, Because they're just uh, a almost a shell of themselves without him on the floor. Uh, Defensively, they definitely lose an edge without AD. Obviously, the shot blocking presence that AD is one of the best defenders in the league. And then offensively, I mean, you look around after LeBron when there's no Davis, who provides the offense for this team? And I know that Schroeder, I know that Dennis Schroeder has been out a few games as well. He just returned against the Trailblazers. Oddly enough, they did win that game. But you have LeBron, you have Schroeder. I just don't think the rest of the supporting cast is all that great. And it might be even a little bit worse than it was last season. And of course, last season, uh, my, my lack of faith in this Lakers supporting cast was the reason that I didn't think they would win the finals and they proved me wrong. But I still need to see it manifest again. And I know we're in the regular season, but Kyle Kuzma, KCP, Caruso... Uh, Markeith Morris, Mark Gasol, Wesley Matthews. I'm just not entirely confident that these guys can help the Lakers get out of this recent slump uh, if Anthony Davis is not back
0: and is not healthy. Uh, we talked about this last year, Frank. Absolutely, not a single grain of KCP slander on this podcast. Uh, I think you got to look further than that for the reasons. And it, it's it's fun to talk about guys like that uh, with LeBron James, where it's like, oh, this guy's career got so much better playing with LeBron. But at the end of the day, we can't just keep looking at this roster and saying, oh, look how much fun it is to watch Alex Caruso and Taylor Horton Tucker being on the floor uh, with three minutes left of a very important game that the Lakers kind of need to win. It's fun. Sure, LeBron, LeBron gets credit for winning those end-up games because he's the guy that's taking those game-winning shots, or those game-losing free throws in the case of that game versus the Thunder. But he needs AD back on the court. He needs Montrose-Herald to not have six fouls because he's starting in games he also needs Dennis Schroeder, because he needs another point guard, and I think that's a good point that you bring up, and I think that that might alleviate a little things, but I think the Clippers are leagues beyond the Lakers uh, at the moment without AD, and if we get to a point that, for fun, for fun's sake, let's just take Paul George off the Clippers, I would take the Clippers with Kawhi versus the Lakers with LeBron without AD or Paul George on either team, and, and that's not a slight to LeBron. I, I, I tend to not be a fan of Kawhi or, or the Clippers teams, but... What we're seeing right now is a fun team to watch, uh, definitely a team that Twitter's all about, but all of the, all of Caruso's Twitter mentions mean absolutely nothing when it's, it's making this the, the reigning champions go to overtime with the Thunder, when they go to overtime with the Pistons, when they go on a road trip and they can only pull one win out of it. it it's, this is not a championship team. This is a fun team. This is a Twitter team at best, but it's, it's definitely not a championship team.
1: It's hard to argue with that point I
0: mean, right now, based on
1: what we're seeing. and Maybe this win over the Trailblazers, the night of which we're recording this, will kind of alleviate things and maybe catapult them back on the right track. But uh, we just don't know. And if Anthony Davis comes back, is healthy, and is completely fine, then the Lakers are back on top of the Western Conference. They should be right back in there in the mix for being a championship favorite. But as things currently stand, the stock is down on the Lakers, and it's easy to see why for all the all the reasons that we've mentioned.
0: Yeah, it's a hard it's a hard point to break for the reason, and I think currently their plus two sixty championship odds is one I would currently stay away with until you know about AD. And honestly, the fact that AD, who's consistently hurt all the time when it matters, all the time uh, is all the time. You just never see AD on the court. I think last year was a great spurt of him playing, and he got lucky that he was playing. He got that nice nice break for him to stay healthy, and maybe this is what that is. You know, maybe keeping AD off the floor for a month or two, even if he's hurt, probably is good for the long run that he's not getting as much wear and tear, which is funny to say when his co-star is 37 and playing every single game. Uh, but, you know, that that's AD's problem with itself. Uh, let's go to a different team in California, and we'll talk about a King, uh, not LeBron James, of course. We'll talk about a Kings with an S at the end though they're not looking like Kings at the moment. They did just break their nine-game losing streak uh, with a close three-point victory over the worst team in the league, uh, the Detroit Pistons in Detroit. Talking about the Sacramento Kings, Frank, what are your favorite teams? So why don't you kick us off for it?
1: Yeah, one of my favorite teams, I guess. And, you know, it's tough sledding right now for Sacramento. Uh, They were a team whose stock was kind of on the rise a couple of weeks ago. They had just gotten to 500. And they were almost in the mix for a playoff spot in the West. But obviously that was early in the season. And now we're close to the all star break and the wheels have started to come off a little bit. We're looking at a team that's 13 and 20 now. And you know, losing a few games in a row in the Western Conference can be a death sentence. And I guess that begs the question, do the Kings have what it takes to get back on track? Because when we talked about them, you know, before the season, We thought the over was the smart player on the win total, which was right around 30 wins. We said that there was upside for them to be a potential play-in team in the West. I'm not entirely ready to back off that just yet, um, but things are definitely not looking good uh, on the Sacramento front, and I'm sure uh, you would agree with that.
0: I would, and this is a team that just, you want to root for them. There's so many players here that it's just, you got the hope for. Uh, Rashawn Holmes in particular, I know he's not the most flashy guy, but the dude averages essentially 15 and 15 in any game where he gets legitimate minutes. In fact, any game he's gotten over 30 minutes per game, he averages over 15 and 15. Uh, he yeah. deserves some credit in that. But everyone else in that front court uh, should be vilified by everyone who likes defense in the NBA because they've been giving up 127 points per game in the month of February compared to their 115 points per game. Uh, And that all falls squarely on the shoulders of guys like Marvin Bagley, who has been a bust. I I think we've gotten far enough in his career where we can officially label Marvin Bagley bust, Uh, especially when you claim the guys that he was around. He was picked one pick in front of Luka Doncic, two picks Mm -hmm. in front of Trey Young. Uh, Even a guy like Jaron Jackson, who I know I have a soft spot in my heart for, hasn't played that many games in his career. But at this point, even Jaron Jackson's looking better. You look further in that draft, Svi Maluki, uh, a guy we just talked about, Marie Hachimura. Marvin Bagley, awful move for Vlade Divac and the Kings. And I think if they had any of those other guys, I would have listed. I think this is a team that's not just a stock riser. I think this is a team that's in playoff contention because De'Aaron Fox is having an all-star level year. Buddy Heald is in a slump, but I think a better player would be able to conceal through that. And, and overall, it's hard to believe in this team and not say that they're a riser. But as much as I want to trash on Bagley, I think there's one more guy that's much more important, and I think you will definitely agree with me. Is it's Luke Walton. Luke Walton's got to go. He, he just cannot be the head coach of this team anymore. Uh, the fact that he just does not coach with defense, they don't transition well. Uh, the, if you watch any fast point guard go up against them, Dame Lillard just trashed them for over 30 points. John Moran has had three, three great games of his career, uh, all setting career highs, uh, whether it be in assists or points versus the Kings. They just can't keep up, and I don't know if it's because of the players. Maybe they just don't believe in themselves. Maybe it's the sadness that comes with the city of Sacramento. But as a guy who's a fan of a lot of other coaches in the league, I think you got to give the brunt of the stick to the guy who's doing one of the worst jobs with one of the more talented teams in the league, and that is Luke Walton. Uh, and in that case, I have odds here on the first coach to be fired uh, in 2021, and we we haven't talked about a few of these other guys, Frank. And, of course, if you have any other thoughts on this Kings team... Here's some interesting odds for you: J.B. Bickerstaff of the Cleveland Cavaliers at plus one twenty, Luke Walton at plus one fifty, and Steve Clifford is in third place there at plus four hundred. Obviously, Ryan Saunders already got fired; it's probably the easiest guy to point to. Uh, Dwayne Casey, maybe with that rookie of the year, with maybe with that coach of the year under his shoulder, is for some reason not on this list, despite coaching the worst team in the East. Uh, but between those two guys, Frank, and uh, which one of those two guys do you think is first? Mr. Bickerstaff at plus 120 or Mr. Walton at plus 150?
1: Well, I don't disagree with, with the rankings. Uh,
0: having Bickerstaff
1: uh, as a slight favorite and then Walton. Um, but I feel like maybe Bickerstaff would have a little bit of a longer leash uh, because expectations for the Cavs were probably a little lower than they were for the Kings this year. And the Kings fired a guy in Dave Yorger who was an accomplished veteran coach in the league and they replaced him with Walton and the results have not been great. And I, I still stand by the fact that Dave Yorger should not have been fired by the Kings because he wasn't a, a standout elite coach. But when he was the coach, there was a time when they were playing above five hundred basketball and you know, they had DeMarcus Cuddens at one point, and that group was promising. And and then further down the line, it looked like they were going to challenge for a a playoff spot just a couple of years ago. And now they're kind of stuck in the mud. And I agree with you that I don't think Luke Walton uh, is a great coach. I mean, he was pushed out of L.A. with the Lakers. That was obviously kind of a tumultuous situation. But you're not seeing what you would want to see from a Kings team with a lot of, you know, with young talent on the roster. And you're not seeing the improvement that that this team needs to really take that next step. Uh, so maybe jumping ship on Walton so soon uh, would be another, you know, another poor move in a cycle of of coaches in Sacramento, but there's got to be somebody better there. There's got to be somebody better out there that, that can get this group where it needs to go, because you have guys like De'Aaron Fox, you have Tyrese Halliburton, you have Rashawn Holmes, like you said, and Harrison Barnes, Buddy Heald. I mean, this team has the talent to be, at the very least, a play-in team in the West, and uh, it's just not manifesting right now.
0: Yeah, and it's not like there are guys missing to be hired. We talked about it pretty much all offseason. There's a plethora of incredibly talented young coaches in this league that are just waiting to be hired. Emeka Udoka, that was leading the defensive charge for the 76ers for the past few years and is now helping the offensive side of the the Brooklyn Nets, a team we just talked about, is just waiting be hired in his work with Ben Simmons on the defensive side, and now his work on a cohesive, amazingly impressive offense uh, for the Nets would do wonders for the future careers of Fox and Heald, and maybe even save Marvin Bagley. But there, there's even guys further than that. Mike D'Antoni is currently an assistant coach. Nate McMillan, uh, as much as I dislike him, is a better, is a step up from uh, Walton. Uh, you've got guys like. You know, I hate to say it because he's balling out so well, but Jawan Howard has made it known that he wants to be an NBA head coach. Uh, Wes Unsell Jr., David Edelman, Jordan Fernandez. There are just so many guys to be hired. I don't understand why Luke Walton still has a job. Hey, you've got girls uh, too. You know, Becky Hammond. And Becky Hammond, uh, former NBA players like Tim Duncan that are willing to get into that ring. Uh, Rajon Rondo's still an NBA player, but he has hinted that he's going to go into the coaching ring as soon as his career ends. So... It just it just doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense to me. And when this season ends and the next season starts, if Luke Walton's the head coach, question marks. Bigger question marks for this Kings team that really just should be doing so much better. But we'll let that end. Uh, enough sadness for sadness. Celtics, Lakers, Kings, going to be our stock followers. Uh, we move on here to the awards odds, as we usually do. And the awards this year, to me have not been that fun. MVP is probably a very tight race. LeBron, Embiid, Jokic, Curry, Luka, Giannis, KD, Kawhi, Dame, Harden, all great competitors. And I think almost every single person I listed on there has a shout at the, at the trophy. Uh, but outside of that rookie of the year, I'd be amazed if it was not Lamelo. Sixth Man of the year. So happy to say, I would be amazed if it wasn't Jordan Clarkson defensive player of the year. If the Jazz are the number one team in the West with one of the better defenses, it'd be, it would amaze me if it wasn't Gobert. And the most improved player, probably the closest out of those four, but it's looking like Jeremy Grant is going to pull away with that. So if you were to add all those up into a parlay with Grant, most improved player, at minus 200, Clarkson, Six man of the year, at minus 400, Gobert, defensive player of the year, at minus 304, and Ball, rookie of the year, minus 834, uh, you could parlay that into a plus 180 odds. Not the greatest, but... You know, they're running away with it, Frank. Which one of those do you think would break my parlay? Or is there any one of those that you would really disagree with?
1: Well, it's not a bad parlay by any means. And of course, it looks like that's the direction it's heading with those respective awards. But again, you know, there's still plenty of basketball left to be played. And between the list that you just mentioned, I think defensive player of the year is probably the one that I can still see flipping. And I know Gobert... Uh, has been tremendous this year i mean he's the best rim protector in all of basketball that's easy to say um but he does already have a defensive player of the year under his belt you know in recent years and there is a guy named ben simmons who is plus 600 to win this award and i'm I'm, to win this award and i'm leapfrogging miles turner here at number two Uh, no dis no disrespect to miles turner he's one of the best shot blockers in the league but i think Ben Simmons would have a better chance of leapfrogging Gobert and and kind of turning this race around than I think Miles Turner would. And Ben Simmons, to me, maybe he's not as good of a defender as Gobert is pound for pound. But in terms of versatility, he's kind of unmatched right now. I mean, he guards everyone on the floor one through five. And you you see him going toe to toe with guys like LeBron on one night and then the next night you see him completely taking somebody like Damian Lillard out of the game. And really nobody else in the NBA uh, is doing that on a nightly basis. And Simmons takes that challenge, uh, and it's tremendous to watch. And maybe having Embiid, who's right behind him on this list at plus 800, as his teammate kind of hurts Ben Simmons' case, but I think there's a legitimate path for him to, to win this award maybe you know, it'd be kind of a a narrative thing and a nostalgic thing because he's never won this award. Um, And because he's never won this award before, as opposed to a guy like Gobert, who's a regular on this list, uh, it could flip-flop when it's all said and done. Maybe it's a long shot, but uh, I wouldn't rule it out.
0: I mean, I I wouldn't rule it out in any shape or form. I think the biggest attractor is the one you mentioned. Obviously, Embiid, one of the better shot blockers and one of the better central defenders, in the NBA is probably going to tug away at his odds there. But Ben Simmons leading the league in not just deflections, but also loose ball recovered. He grinds when he's on that defensive, when he's on the floor, you know, he's there to play defense and his dropping numbers, his assists, rebounds and steals and points might, might not look like he's having a great season, but I don't think I've ever seen a player really, like you said, just strap people, just take people out of games uh, as much as he does uh, with his size, with his length, with the quickness that he moves, uh, with the purposefulness that he moves, like, yeah, like I said, you know, leading the league in deflections and, and balls recovered comes with the knowing of where balls are going to go. Really reading offenses, it's like playing. It's like he's playing DB, and he he's Ed Reed out there, uh, which is impressive. And I think he deserves more credit, like you said, than Embiid does because Embiid, at the end of the day, is there to more play offense, whereas Simmons is there to take Weeple away. I'm still going to stick with Gobert. Uh, I think just because it's going to, I think it's going to come with the fact that a people know he's Gobert. Uh, the Jazz actually just officially trademarked uh, the Go Bear scare for their shop. But, you know, Ben Simmons did the other night after a great win for the 76ers over the Lakers uh, come out and said that he feels like he's the best defensive player of the league. So we'll have to see where that goes. But outside of that one, you know, any any other hunches for where this awards race could go?
1: Well, we've talked uh, about MVP already, you know, on this podcast before. And, you know, all the guys you mentioned, like you said, uh, it's not wide open, per se, because LeBron and Embiid are, in my opinion, kind of in a two-horse race as things currently stand. But the field, uh, there are some interesting names. And one name that stands out to me that I think is far too far down this list is Damian Lillard, plus 2,500. I don't know why he's below—I don't know why his odds are lower than guys like Kawhi, KD, Giannis, and Luka, and maybe even Curry. To me— Outside of LeBron Embiid and Jokic, I think Dame should be right up there in the top five for the MVP vote. And yes, the Trailblazers are in a little bit of a skit. They've lost three games in a row, but they're five games above 500, and Lillard is putting up tremendous numbers. He's by far the best clutch player in the NBA, and he's doing all of this without the services of his running mate in CJ McCollum, without the Trailblazers' third best player and Yusuf Nurkic, and I'm not saying Dame is disrespected, but if you look at these MVP odds, I don't know why he's not higher. I think him and Curry are 1A, 1B for that fourth spot uh, behind LeBron, Be and Jokic, and uh, I think it's just, and to me, again, it doesn't really make sense why Dame is so low on this list, but I'm curious if, uh, if you disagree or agree uh, with that sentiment.
0: Well, I think there's a category outside of your two-horse race of players who do it by themselves. And and a big reason why I don't think LeBron James, at the end of the day, is going to win this MVP award is because of the reason that the Lakers are in the stock-down category. Is LeBron really the most valuable player if his team is 6-5 and five without AD? At the end of the day, it's kind of seeming like AD is the more valuable Laker, and so he can't really be the most valuable team in the league. And that argument can go the same for Embiid, who, without Simmons, maybe isn't the same monster player that he is. Jokic has been playing without Jamal Murray. Stephen Curry been playing without Klay Thompson. Luka Doncic, I don't know if Christoph Porzinger is still an NBA player, but I haven't seen him do anything on an NBA court in a while. He's just a unicorn. Yeah. That's all he is. He's just a unicorn prancing around, because you know what he's sure as hell not doing, playing defense. Uh, but then you've got KD, who's obviously got some other guys. And Dame, Dame is the outlier, I think, to all of those guys, um, aside from maybe Curry. And I think I think the argument really for me is it's is Curry between, I think the argument for me is it's between Curry and Dame on who should be fourth on that list behind LeBron and being Jokic. Not that I think LeBron should be that high, but I, I just, I would take Curry personally because I think Curry's been carrying a lower squad. But the fact is Dame hasn't had McCollum. For for most of the season, and, and Nurkic losing him constantly, uh, they had most of their roster gone for multiple games this season. So much so that their starting point guard ended up being a D League player, um, sat at the D League. But Dame at plus two thousand five hundred, I, I would agree with you. I think he should be fifth uh, at worst, sixth. I think he should be sixth at best, fifth. Uh, really, depending on that Curry. Uh, but really depending on who you value more, Curry or Dame, but absolutely agree. Uh, like LeBron said, uh, Dame Dalla, probably the second most disrespected player in the NBA. Wouldn't agree on that first one, but definitely got the second one right.
1: Yeah, and it is interesting how this MVP list is kind of completely flipped from where we thought it would be at the beginning of the season because the guys like LeBron, Embiid, and Jokic were further down the list, whereas Luka, Giannis, and KD were kind of the top three Uh, and it's kind of the opposite of what we expected. But still, uh, like you said, LeBron has a case, Embiid has a case, Jokic has a case, but I still think it's open. Uh, I think there's still a lot of basketball left to be played, and for that reason, if you told me that Dame at plus 2,500 or Curry at plus 1,000 uh, winded up sneaking into that top three in the MVP race, uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all. And I think other of those odds are frankly worth a flyer, uh, because of the uncertainty over the next couple what, over the next few weeks and months.
0: Yeah, a- anything is possible, truly. And uh, as you know, I like to say, Frank, when it's da- when uh, it becomes game time, Dame knows how to make it game time, uh, and, and it's about to be gun crunch time soon. So we'll have to see how he handles all that. But for more of that NBA content, for soon-to-be-more March Madness content, and even more NFL content, maybe we'll even throw another sport in there. How do you feel about golf, Frank?
1: Hey, you know, prayers out to Tiger Woods. Uh, This generation's GOAT of golf, maybe THE GOAT of golf, Uh, you hate to see him get in a car accident like that. Uh, Hopefully one day he's able to come back on the golf course, but more importantly, uh, just for his health and his well-being, Uh, We hope that he makes a a speedy and full recovery.
0: Absolutely. Hoping that he gets fully good. Uh, Hopefully we'll be able to see him at the Masters sometime soon. Uh, Probably not looking like this year. But uh, we are also hoping to see more of you. uh, Checking out our Twitter and our Instagram, both at PlayItPod, for more of this great NBA content. You can check me out at RotomCoffman. Frank, where can listeners find you?
1: You can find me at FrankJP0
0: and wrote them. I'll
1: leave you with this one thought before we sign off. Freedom!
0: Beautiful. Shout out, William Wallace. Shout out, Scotland, just uh, just in general. And we'll see you next week in Cancun.